0: everyone and welcome to another episode of don't wait till pigs fly a podcast conversation to share their secrets of thriving while living with chronic illness here's nancy becker Hey everyone, good morning. I am Nancy and I'm the founder and president of Invisible Entrepreneurs. It is always good to know that there are others out there that have dealt with similar challenges and our guest today is going to share with us their history and what they've learned along the way. We're looking at supporting women business owners with chronic illness, map out their journeys and implement new systems so that they can function better in their lives. And with. that, we welcome Erica Johansson. Welcome, Erica. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about what you've going on. I know we were scheduled to have this podcast last week. And when we tuned into each other, she's sitting there and she says, we can do this, but I'm in the hospital. (laughs) And I went, okay, let's postpone you've got more important things on your mind so give us a little bit of history and let's start talking through some of the things we were just talking through off camera
1: (laughs) well thank you so much first of all for having me on here Um, and like you like you said it is uh I appreciate your flexibility and rescheduling too it was uh, definitely unexpected to be back in the hospital last week spark notes version is um, my younger son I have two boys my youngest though is a brain cancer and stroke survivor um, after we found an aggressive form of brain cancer uh, at only five months old. Thankfully that was three years ago, and he's now been cancer free for about two and a half years, but certainly not without collateral damage. And it's been, you know, quite a learning and learning experience, a journey, and a lot of grief along the way too, as we've gone through both his treatment and recovery from a diagnosis like that at such an early age. We were in the hospital last week, interestingly enough, as a complication arose from my son's third brain surgery. The surgery this summer, thankfully, was scheduled and not an emergency, but it was challenging because it was a reconstruction of cleaning up some things from the initial surgery three years ago. So we had to go in and kind of fix some things up, and of course, in my, my son's fashion, it was inexplicably more complicated than what we had expected, which just seemed to be the norm for him. So we wound up back in the hospital last week and are thankfully now, I believe, on the the true path to recovery, which has been quite miraculous, actually, from his most recent surgery, which has been great. But goodness, what a journey to over the last few years um, in supporting him with both the treatment and recovery that he's had to go through.
0: Yeah, Let's talk about that journey. I mean, there's there's uh, various sides there's the emotional and the personal and the dealing with you know and you have some issues yourself too i believe Mm -hmm. and you know so there's there's that whole side of the situation and and just the day-to-day i've got to get up and deal with this all again today and then there's the side of what we were talking about is the hospitals and the doctors and the medical treatments and the admissions and the discharges and all of the fun stuff that goes along with being different and having, having issues that not every person has to deal with. So talk a little bit about that, would you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing I could say is um, I've learned a lot about grief. the last few years. Um, And not that it's always a negative thing either, um, but truly my own way of coping with it and working through grief. um, I often think and talk about and share and reflect on my experience of grief as being something that I have to metabolize emotionally. Um, So a lot of the things I do to self-care, I feel are ways to help process a lot of what I've had to experience in the past and then also experience day to day. Um, Unfortunately, my marriage did not survive through my son's treatment. So there's a lot of grief associated with that. Um, uh, You know, I grieve every day, my son's kind of normalcy. I I get sad when I see peers that are um, quote typical and I see the challenges my son has, although are normal. Has become a new normal, and we're used to that. We're getting used to that every day. Um, I still grieve, you know, that you know, healthy infancy that I, you know, had thought we were on the path to having before we found his tumor. And I grieve, you know, a lot of the things that he's going to have in his future and um, the challenges that he's going to have to overcome just by nature of who he is. Um, although he's a survivor of both brain cancer and a stroke. Um, He unfortunately is now deaf in his left ear and has Mm -hmm. severe hearing loss in his right. So there's going to be some some major challenges, of course, with um, just how he interacts with the world around him going forward in life. Um, He's also got some uh, mobility issues with his left eye. So there's going to be maybe potentially some um, vision impairment as well. And the stroke has really impacted his ability to use his mouth in an efficient way. So he struggles sometimes with pronunciation. Um, And again, you know, it's really these layering and complex issues that are going to change his worldview um, in such a drastic way from what we would all typically expect to experience. And, um, and, I grieve that I grieve that that's something he has to work through. Now I have full confidence that he's going to have be resilient enough and, and resourceful enough to navigate that. And I've certainly grown in confidence too, in my parenting in terms of how to best support him and his unique tool set. Um, So I know we'll figure it out. I have confidence that we'll figure it out, but it still makes me sad. And I have to live with that every day when I wake up. Um, which I probably always will feel that way, even if I grow in my feelings of acceptance. Um, so that's been probably the most profound takeaway truly from the past few years. Um, it's just kind of that emotional realization of, of how we all interact with the world every day, how we're gonna all interact in the future and how we work through that and how we problem solve and how we find confidence and that endurance within us to help continue problem solving because it can be incredibly exhausting at the same time and very demotivating if you continually run into roadblocks and things that are in your way and impairing your ability to move forward or achieve the things that you feel like you deserve and, and are wanting and, um, and wanting to to make possible.
0: Yeah. And that was actually going to be my next question is what, what do you do i mean you are first and foremost you are mom you are caretaker you are you know there 150% for him but you've got another child too how do you, how do you deal with that that issue of having that second child who i assume doesn't have any of these issues
1: yeah thankfully he doesn't have any physical issues but he certainly went through everything that i did He's really the only other person in the world who has experienced nearly the same series of events that I have, although his perspective on it was different and his experience of it was going to be different just by nature of his age. Um, But there's been, you know, definitely the mental health aspect is, is very clear. Um, And I'm very sensitive to that, that he, you know, as a four-year-old had to see his baby brother go through things that are not normal. And they threaten your sense of security and safety, which are foundational to our experience as humans and our our feelings of taking risk and being confident. They all are critically connected to that sense of safety. And even something outside of our control like that could still shape his worldview. So I'm very sensitive to the fact that his mental health is, is impacted foundationally by these experiences that he had at such a formative age. Um, as a mom and a caregiver, some of the things I do to make sure that we continue moving forward in the right direction is I have to self care. If I don't do that, um, I'm not able to self-regulate and something as simple as sleeping is like one of the most essential things that I could possibly do for myself. Um, another big takeaway from the past few years besides feeling sleep deprived, right, (laughs) is that if I don't sleep enough, I really lose my ability to self-regulate the next day. Um, I'm sure I can function, I can get through things, I can, you know, tap into that adrenaline, that'll help push me through, but that's really not sustainable. And so it's really critical that I sleep. That's one of the the key things I do in terms of self-care. The other thing I do that's a little different, but I've had a lot of success with, is um, I've really kind of leaned into endurance sports. And um, in September of last year, I actually became an Ironman triathlete, uh, which was quite an accomplishment on the tails of the experience that I went through with my son and and both both of my sons, truly. And on the back end of COVID as well, um, and having to navigate that as a newly single parent. And um, what I found was training for endurance athletics that way allowed me or really put me in a position where I couldn't negotiate out of a workout because it was so long and so intense that you can't just wake up and say, Oh, I'm going to do an Ironman. (laughs) You know, it has, it takes planning and it takes a commitment and it takes, um, accountability. And those things I was able to invest in myself, maybe even through like this life hack approach by, making sure that I followed through on my training plan. Even if I was tired, even if I was worn down, I always ensured that I had that time for myself. And I think that truly helped lessen the blow of the trauma that we experienced. Instead of rolling it up like a ball of putty or a silly putty and throwing it at you and it hurts, right? Instead, I kind of was able to stretch it out over the period of a year, year and a half. And it, and it made it much, much more tolerable than it probably would have been otherwise. So, um, I would say those are the two big things is investing in myself, finding an outlet that allows me to, to physically process emotion, um, like endurance sports. And then of course, sleep, which is also essential
0: wish i could sleep <laughs> yeah it's it's amazing I, if i go and take a nap in the middle of the afternoon i can sleep dead to the world for 3 hours if i go to bed at night i'm up every half hour all night long <laughs> so we we've literally talked about swish, switching our lives so that we operate from midnight to 7 instead of from 7 until midnight
1: because yeah, i i generally there's a lot of room for creativity in the world, especially as people become increasingly remote. I think that there's, there should be a renewed interest and attention on, on people's kind of natural body rhythm. Um, One of the things I learned from a lot of the things that I've had to go through as I, you know, rubber met the road and I was having a problem solve real time was I learned how my brain worked at certain parts of the day. And sometimes you just have to embrace that. And for me, I struggle immensely writing first thing in the morning, but come three o'clock in the afternoon, I could write all night long until midnight, one, two, three in the morning. And it's much easier for me to access those types of skills later in the day. And that's just for some reason how my brain works. Now making sure you sleep while you do things like that is also critical. So of course, if you're staying up until three o'clock in the morning, you've got to make sure you're building time in your day so that you can sleep in, in the morning. And that as a mom's not always realistic. So where I've struggled to find balance sometimes is, is tapping into those types of uh, insights where I've learned those things about myself and finding a balance between when I'm optimally working and when I can when I have to meet the obligations of just day-to-day life as a mom.
0: Do you think it would have value for someone if they would watch themselves like sort of step out of their bodies for a little while and watch for a week or two to see how they move and, and the things that they do and when they do them. And, and I'm a big advocate and proponent of writing things down. So I do schedules, you know, and I'll say, all right, from one until three o'clock this whole week, I've just been really, really tired. And then about four o'clock in the afternoon, I start to get my life back in me. But I write them down so that I can see those, you know, those progressions. Did you ever do anything like that to help you figure out what was going on?
1: I think I haven't done that per se, but I am very schedule oriented as well. Um, What I just noticed was that certain activities were more easy for me and accessible at certain times of the day. And when I would find a quote flow state, um, it was usually in the evening more so than in the morning. Um, Now it's accessible too, interestingly enough, at like 4am if I wake up early then I can still get there before the day fully swings in. Um, So I don't know, maybe if it's something to do with the evening or if it's just that it needs to be time when nobody else is awake and I'm not distracted or disrupted. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure there's something, you know, correlated there. Um, But I think, you know, having insights and taking a moment to reflect and be mindful of how your energy is being spent and how your time is being spent um, absolutely is worthwhile. I use a Garmin. Uh, device, it's a a wearable tracker. And I use that for endurance training. And that's also been incredibly insightful in terms of, um, you know, resting heart rate, or or really just generally heart rate through the day, am I getting the most out of my cardiovascular system that I could be? Um, You can see the impact of workouts day to day and what your body looks like in terms of statistics a few days after you have a really good workout. Um, or if you're sleeping well, it tracks your sleep and it can tell you, you know, oh, you are well rested or no, you did not have good quality. You need to probably, you know, go back to bed and and try that again. Um, so having insights that you can quantify like that. And then I think others, like you were saying, where you can reflect on your schedule and your time and your energy, it's all worthwhile to know how you as a person can can be the best version of you.
0: Yeah. Change of thought here. What makes you happy?
1: Oh, I, I feel happiest when I feel safe and I'm well rested. And so I'm not tired, but I'm calm. And I'm maybe, you know, well fed. Um, really when my base level needs are met, <laughs> I get Um, I find a lot of happiness in that. I think going through what we went through with my son really put a lot of things into perspective in terms of what to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel very, very grateful for all the things in my life, truly, and my ability to to have a a home for my children, to put food on the table um, that I feel is good quality food is a big thing. Um, to be able to sleep at night and have the luxury of even being able to, you know, get a garment and have those insights. That's not a cheap investment. And so I, I recognize the value of that. And I'm very grateful for those things. And so I think that's been another big takeaway from from that experience was just, you know, recognizing where gratitude can exist and what to be grateful for. And that leads to happiness, in my opinion.
0: We've all got to have a little bit of happiness somewhere and that's, you know, for each one of us I think it's a it's a unique choice that we make or you know something and I know the importance of counting our blessings and being grateful and it can be something little it can be something fantastic like you got to come home a week ago from the hospital and you haven't had to go back. I mean, that's a huge gratitude there, you know? And so those are really important. And I think self-care needs to include time to look at those gratitudes and those blessings. And, and I know, I think about them before I get out of bed in the morning, I think about them before I go to bed at night you know, it's very important to me to always look at as much as we have the frustrations and the sadness, it's always important to look at the gratefulness as well.
1: I think that's where healthcare has a very unique challenge as an industry in that most of the people it's serving at any given moment are having their base level of their hierarchy of needs threatened in some way, their sense of safety, their sense of um really their sense of health and well-being the essence of who they are as a person is being threatened and so as an industry and a service it's going to inherently be challenged because it's having to support somebody who doesn't feel safe and therefore is not going to be really coming into that experience with a very positive mindset because they're scared mm-hmm and or stressed or tired or any of those things that, you know, would result from those needs being unmet. And I think as an industry, that's a very unique and noble space to be in is that you're serving people when they're most vulnerable, Um, which is why it's very important to, to recognize what people are going through emotionally in order to best support them. And I think one thing we all know, especially people that are um, dealing with chronic health issues or something very severe and persistent um, or just generally acute. You know, you could just have a car accident and it's and it's intense experience on its own. But something that we all have to recognize is that your, your mental well-being and your experience of, of health care in that state of mind is, I have to believe, positively correlated to the health outcomes you ultimately have. And if you are positive and you feel safe and secure and taken care of when you are most vulnerable, I I truly believe that your opportunity to get better is greater than it would be if you are reminded of what makes you vulnerable when you're in that state of mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have a story about my husband who just less than a month ago. on on the 8th of July had triple bypass heart surgery and he's never been sick a day in his life. It's always been me. That's been sick, but he, rebounded wonderfully because he had fantastic doctors he had nurses that were supportive everything was was really really great and instead of him being in the hospital for the 8 days that they thought he was going to be he got to come home in four and a half days so that's that's a sign of what you're talking about where everybody's really there they're caring they're supportive well, he had to go back into the hospital the following week because he had fluid on his lungs and he had to have the fluid removed. And he went in, he didn't go into the, he while he was in the hospital, he wasn't in the, the you know, where the doctors and all of that really were. He went into an imaging center and nobody, they threw him in a room. They said, get undressed and put on this gown. And then they walked out and they were gone for over an hour without saying one word to him. He had no clue as to what they were going to be doing, how they were going to be doing it, what was wrong, why this had to be done. And he just sat there and you could see because I finally got to go back in and sit with him, you could see in his face and in his body and in his demeanor how he was walking in and he was feeling so good in the beginning. And then it just started, everything started caving in on him. And by the time they finally got in there to support him, he was in pain. He was shaking. He was just scared because he had no clue what was going on. And they weren't talking to him. And then the one person would come come in and they got frustrated with somebody else because that person hadn't taken his vitals. And yeah, it just was a three ring circus. And you could physically see the changes in him going from very positive to very negative. And I'm going this is not right. You know, how much effort would it have taken for the person who put him in the room in the first place to say someone will be with you in just a little while. This is what they're going to do. You know, this is how that you're going to be taken care of. It's going to be fine. But no, they just threw him in a room and, and walked away and never said another word. And I know you've got some some issues with things like that with discharging your son this last time you said you, you didn't think that was part of your favorite process
1: <laughs> oh gosh yeah and getting admitted to the hospital and getting discharged from the hospital are two of the worst parts of actually being in the hospital <laughs> once you get <laughs> once you get settled in your room and you have a kind of flow and you figure out where the food's going to be that you're going to eat and, or you're going to sleep remember those those needs those base level needs are met then everything kind of comes together from there and you can you can problem solve and be resourceful, it is so challenging and exhausting to go through the admission and discharge process when you're in that state of transition, but there's so much waiting and so much, you know, you're unsure about where where you're going to be any next moment or what's going to happen. That anticipation can really wear you out. And um, my heart goes out to your husband and that experience that is very hard. Um Especially when you're feeling vulnerable like that, and to be left there for so long with your mind and your thoughts even alone is is kind of torturous to be honest,
0: yeah, it really is and and you know, so luckily, I got to go in, and I was joking with him, and you know all of that to make him feel a little better but And when the doctor finally came in, he was wonderful and got to talking and reassured us and, and everything was fine. But it was that period of time between when he went in and when he actually had the work done that was just horrendous. So one of the things I'm hoping to do with my organization is to actually create some training programs for medical staff that teach them, you know, it's not just about hurry, 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 you've got 35 patients, but take a little bit of time to reassure someone and to just, you know, be there to support them. They're scared. They don't know what's going on They're They have no clue of whether they're going to walk out of this oh. room or not, you know, and and just be gentle with them. And uh, so I, I I hope that the medical profession will open their minds and hearts to things like this and and be able to listen and and take in and figure out how to accomplish some of these things. So,
1: and I'm sympathetic to the the staff too. So I mean, goodness, the the challenges that they've had to endure just within the last few years in the pandemic alone have been so taxing and so I'm very sympathetic to that and healthcare absolutely has an economics problem at hand you know many hospital systems even despite of nursing shortages right now are having to experience layoffs because they can't meet payroll so there's challenges like that that are happening and healthcare has to operate as a business here in the US and that brings a whole other set of challenges and part of that's going to be productivity So finding a balance between service and productivity is really a whole other ball game. And you're working with staff that have to be trained in a way that is so prolific with details to health conditions and nuances to all of the different various experiences that might walk in their door, Um, especially ED staff. I just have to imagine, I mean, that's a exceptionally challenging job. And I would imagine equally exhausting in many ways to what even the patients and their families experience. Um,
0: yeah, I think they're tired, you know, so many of them have had double and triple shifts and, and you know, gosh, they, I they seem... i Yeah. <laughs>
1: exhausted yeah. waiting in the ED for 12 hours myself. I wouldn't, you know, I couldn't imagine doing that back to back. I think, yeah. you know, the takeaway there, right, is that we're all human at the end of the day and we all are tasked with things beyond our ability to fulfill just outright without any training, without any endurance or anything like that. And so I think especially in healthcare is we must meet each other in that space of humanity. And like you said, be gentle with one another in those experiences and compassionate and empathetic. And I think, I think if we all maintain that mindset, even as patients and as the clinicians, and as all the other supporting staff are that are involved with the care um, i think you know really generally the experience of it should improve and and again that all correlates to health outcomes at the end of the day if we all have a better experience it's going to mean that people get better care
0: No, and that's what we're hoping for. You know, that's what we're all working on. So because the bottom line is nobody wants to be sick. No, you know, we all want to feel good. And we all want to be able to be our best that we can be at anything. But sadly, that doesn't happen all the time. And so we need to be able to both from the patient and the caregiver standpoint, we need to figure out what's going to be the best outcome for for us all. And I think that's a wonderful place to end our conversation. Has there been anything that we haven't talked about that you would really like to share with the audience? I
1: would just share some final thoughts that, you know, despite the challenges that we're faced with right now, especially at this time in history and at this time in the industry that's undergoing enormous transformation. I think I, I have such optimism for where things are headed. I think that technology is going to unlock opportunities for us that we can't imagine yet. And I think the renewed focus that even the pandemic has brought towards mental health and just holistic healing and, and grief processing, is going to have a huge payoff in the long term. We have entire generations right now that are normalizing language around mental health. And that means those people eventually are going to be in decision-making roles where that is part of their norm every day. And they're going to be making decisions that are going to support and have nuance for mental health and supporting that. And so I'm incredibly optimistic that the industry is headed in a direction that's going to provide better care. And I value greatly the energy that's being spent towards learning how we can get there from people in all shapes and sizes and all backgrounds. Um, So I'm just grateful for you even making the stage for us to have a conversation about it so folks that listen in can gain insight and learnings that and again make the world and and healthcare a better place for everybody.
0: That's what it's all about. We we've got to make this the best we can. So, Erica, thank you so much. I really 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 appreciate you being here with us, you sharing your story and your journey and hopefully for the listeners, you've been able to get some really great words of wisdom out of this and maybe moving forward it will allow you to see things a little bit in a different light with your own medical issues. And we can all just work on all of this together. So thank you for this wonderful podcast today. Um, to wrap things up. I Oftentimes people ask what we do at Invisible Entrepreneurs. And this is a little bit about what we, what we do is we're trying to make this space better for us all. If you'd like to hop on a Zoom call with me, my contact info is in the show notes. And right now we're having this really exciting challenge that I'd love listeners to take part in. If you are an artist of any kind and you would like to take part in this challenge that we're having, we are looking for people to create artwork that to them resembles what it is to live a day in the life of someone with a chronic illness. You would submit that to the website and then people would vote on it. And the one that gets the largest number of votes at the end of the challenge We'll have their artwork showcased on our website. We'll be in our social media and it'll just be a lot of fun. But most importantly, you'll be spreading information on chronic illness and what it means to people. So if you're interested in that, send me a note in the bottom of the podcast here or contact me at nancy at invisibleentrepreneurs.org. And we'll see what we can do to get you in the contest. Until next time, guys, please share this with others. It's important information. Go ahead, like, and follow us. And if you have any ideas for future topics, let me know. And until next time, get out there, be productive, and soar higher. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.